Hey folks, this is Mike McCarroll. Welcome to the Get Real Safety Podcast, where we discuss the new view of safety, the things that work, the things that don't work, and try to break down old view paradigms to help you improve safety performance in your organization. Ow! Dang it! So how many errors have you made today? I made four this morning within the first two hours. First of all, I forgot to set my alarm clock. We had storms come through West Georgia last night, and uh, so I didn't set my clock, and I got up late this morning. Then I uh, misplaced my cell phone, went around looking for it, and then realized it was in my pocket all along. Then I spilled a cup of coffee in the floor, and then right after that, I tripped over the dog. How about you, Pam? You don't make any errors, do you? Right. Yeah, I've lost track of how many errors I made already this morning, but one that comes to mind was a pretty significant near miss in the bathroom while taking a shower. I realized that I had not brought the clean towels into the bathroom from doing laundry over the weekend and uh, jumped out of the shower dripping wet to go run to get a towel and almost slipped on the tile floor. We talked about the storms we had in West Georgia this weekend, and we lost power twice, both uh, su- uh, Saturday and Sunday. And one of the major errors we made is after all of our fancy winter prep we've been doing, um, we realized at 2 a.m. that the generators in the shed locked up without fuel in it, and so that didn't do us much good either. So the fact is we all make errors. And I'll tell you that the more that I study human performance, the more I start looking at the number of errors that I make every day. I would encourage everybody else to do that because, you know, honestly, when you start thinking about it, it is astounding the number of errors that we all make day in and day out. So the title of today's podcast is to Err is Human because we all do it. We're all human, and so we all make errors. And so the question comes up, what is a human error? Technically, the definition is an unexpected deviation from an expected outcome. Now, that sounds a little bit academic, but basically, the outcome was not what we expected. We meant for it to go one way, but that's not how it came out. People don't choose to err. It just simply happens. It happens for a lot of reasons. It happens because of the way the brain works, for one. It can also happen because the operating system that we're in sets us up for failure. Just as an example, the brain can't pay attention to multiple things at one time. Anytime that we multitask, the chance for error is huge. In our training sessions at Georgia Tech and with our clients, we use a film called The Invisible Gorilla. A lot of people have seen that video, but it has to do with some people throwing basketballs, and you have the audience to count the number of times people are throwing basketballs. Uh, In the middle of the scene, a gorilla walks out, stands there, beats his chest, and then slowly walks off the stage. Now, in almost any audience, about a third of the audience sees the gorilla. The other two-thirds will swear there was no gorilla there because they don't see it, Uh, which illustrates a thing called inattentional blindness that we'll talk about in future podcasts. But the fact of the matter is there are invisible gorillas all over the workplace, and sometimes people just simply don't see them. So errors can be either due to an 
individual doing something other than what they intended to do or failing to do something because of an issue with concentration or memory. Uh, Of course, not to say that that is an issue. What makes an error an error is that it is unintentional. They didn't mean to do it. The technical term for that is brain fart. A violation, however, is intentional. They meant to do it. Now, that being said, we can't assume that all violations are punishable or that they are culpable. There are some violations that are system-induced. Some require coaching. Some may require punishment. Now, when you think about the percentage of failure, about 30% is actually due to human error. Things like a mental lapse, a mental slip, maybe somebody fumbles a tool. Let's just take that for example. You take a worker on top of a roof and they accidentally fumble a tool, just like a football fumble, and it flies off the roof. They didn't mean to do that. That was not intentional. It's not like they stood up there and threw the tool off the roof. It was unintentional, so that was an error. Now, about 70% of it, though, is system-induced, and it's due to, to something within the operating system that is increasing the chance of an error. We need to discover, was the violation driven by, allowed by, or created by the system? People don't operate in a vacuum where they can decide and act all-powerfully. To err or not to err is not a choice. Instead, people's work is subject to and constrained by multiple factors, and that's a quote from Sidney Decker. Some examples of system-created error are things like fatigue. You have people working long hours. I know, I know of a lot of cases where folks are working 12, 14, 16 hours a day, and what we know is that that fatigue dramatically increases human error. In fact, at some point, of so many hours worked, workers will make as many errors as someone who is legally drunk. Now, we wouldn't have somebody legally drunk operating a piece of machinery in our company, and yet we actually are effectively doing that when you have someone working 12, 14, 16 hours. Fatigue and understaffing also drive shortcuts. People will necessarily exert less effort just because they're tired. I know I brought this up with a uh, manager of a large construction project where he had Tower crane operators were working 16 hours a day, and I brought up the fact of fatigue and human error with something as significant as a tower crane operator in a major urban setting working for 16 hours and swinging loads over downtown streets. And when I brought it up, his answer was, well, you know, that's just the way it is, and they get used to it. Well, they don't get used to it. You know, there's many examples of how systems also induce at-risk behavior. And so one of the easiest ones for most folks to understand, and I try to use this in seminars a lot, is Domino's Pizza. Years ago, Domino's had workers who were speeding. They were delivery people, and they were going through stop signs. They were involved in accidents. And Domino's took the tack that we have all these safety violators, And so they were writing up workers, they were terminating their employment because they viewed the workers as bad apples. However, if you look at the system they were working in, here's what it was. 30 minutes or less. At some point in time, somebody decided that in order to outsell the competition, 
they would have a system where the drivers would have the pizza to your house in 30 minutes or less. If it was after 30 minutes, the pizza was free. Now, early on, the drivers actually had to pay for those pizzas. Now, I ask you, how much money does a pizza driver make? So if they got that pizza to your house after 30 minutes, not only was it free, but they had to pull money out of their pocket and pay for your family's pizza. The question is, why were they doing what they were doing? And you know, I don't care how many rules, I don't care how much training, I don't care how many written safety programs or forms that you have, that's not going to fix that problem. You terminate that employee and put somebody else right back in the same system, and what are we going to get? The answer is pretty obvious, huh? Another example of human error that was pretty big in the news a few years back was the Hawaii missile alert, where inadvertently an operator sent out a real live alert saying that there were incoming missiles into the state of Hawaii and of course panicked a lot of people and there were some actually some injuries from that and definitely trauma to an awful lot of folks. The employee who triggered the alarm said he didn't know they were going through an exercise. He believed the missile threat was real. The employee activated the real world alert code instead of the test missile. The computer asked him to confirm the choice and he clicked yes. Of course, what do you think the press had to say? Well, they blame it on human error. So what do you think really happened? Well, one thing was there were no two-party checks, peer checks, or, or a way for another employee to check in with a colleague before sending the alert. You would think you would want to have some kind of process where there was a double check before that. The drop-down menu that he had didn't differentiate between a test and a live alert. Both alerts had the same interface and the same confirmation language, regardless of whether it was real or a drill that said, are you sure you want to send this alert? Now, I don't know about you, but I make a lot of errors on my computer every day. I sure don't keep track of that. But one thing I know that if I'm working on a document and I go to close it out, what do I get? I get a little drop-down box that says, do you want to save? You want to save your work. Well, what if you went to send out a missile alert and maybe there was a little drop-down box that said, are you sure you want to send this live alert in clear, concise language like that? Think that might have helped him? But they didn't have that. Now, industry practice was to have a separate log-on screen to differentiate between a live alert versus a test. Another issue, another system issue, was that the drill was conducted during shift change, which caused miscommunications and confusion over who was in charge. And then to make matters worse, they didn't have a recovery process. The wrong alert stood for 38 minutes because the governor did not remember his Twitter login and, and password. What was the result? I bet you can guess. The employee was fired. Another employee was suspended without pay, and a third resigned before disciplinary action was taken. The administrator of the agency, who accepted responsibility for the incident, resigned. Did we learn from that? Was it human error? Recently, we just had a, a, another situation that's very similar, where Toronto-area residents received a false alert about a nuclear power plant emergency that was issued an error to the public during a routine exercise. How long do you think it will be before we hear that the cause of this incident is wait for it, human error. How we respond to error matters. 
If error is treated like a violation, it's seen as unfair, it causes workers to disengage and starts a destructive cycle of blame. You know that's true, Pam, and I don't care what kind of accident it is, whether it's a plane crash, train crash, truck wrecks, piece of equipment rolls over, you always hear this on the news, that the cause was human error. The problem with that is that error is not a cause. It is a symptom. And it actually is a window into the operating system itself. No investigation should ever stop with human error as a, quote, cause, unquote. The reason I say that is how we respond matters. If human error is treated like a violation, it's seen as unfair. It causes workers to disengage, it demotivates them, and it starts a destructive cycle of blame. It also tells the workers everything they need to know about management's intent. You know, in human performance, it's really important to separate four distinct areas and to ensure that the response to each is different. The four areas we need to be concerned with, number one, is system-induced error. System-induced error means there is something within the operating system that is increasing the chances of errors. It could be things like fatigue. It could be accelerated schedules that are causing people to rush. It could be understaffing that are causing people to uh, take shortcuts. Now, another one is system-induced behavior. System-induced behavior is like the Domino's pizza thing we just talked about where the system causes people to take at-risk behaviors, and we're not going to solve that issue by blaming the worker. In both system-induced error and system-induced behavior, we have to fix the system. Now, if it's true human error, if it is something like a mental lapse or a fumble or a mental slip, how you deal with that is consequence control. We have to assume that people will make errors, So how do we control the consequences of when they make an error so that we don't have a bad outcome? In other words, we make it safe to fail. The fourth area is culpable behavior. Culpable behavior means that it was an intentional act. Now, again, some of those intentional acts are system-induced. However, there may be some that are because of personal gain or just recklessness or sabotage. So some are coachable, some are punishable, and how we respond really matters. And we're going to talk more about the issues of culpability and blame in a future podcast. Unfortunately, under the old view, the crime and punishment model, everything is treated like a violation, which assumes everything is a willful decision, and it's not. People can't choose to screw up or not screw up. It just happens because we're human. For example, here's, here's one we hopefully all can relate to. How many of you have talked on a cell phone while you drove a car? Now, it might be legal to do so in a hands-free mode in the state that you're in, but the science is pretty clear. Talking on a phone, even hands-free, is a significant contributor to accidents. How many of you have been driving down the road and f- and reach down to your phone to flip on uh, the GPS setting to come up. Or you got an incoming text and you're in slow traffic and you look down at your phone to read that text. All of those things are risky things, but do we do them? Do we intend 
for something bad to happen. It's only after the accident we blame the driver, but how many of you listening to this podcast have done that? Why is the old view popular? It's cheap and it's easy and we don't have to dig into the system. It's rewarding. We get rewarded for firing someone because we feel like we've done something. We've solved the problem. Discipline, or firing someone after an event, is actually soon certain positive reinforcement for the one issuing the discipline. In other words, right then, right there, they feel they have positively dealt with the event. But the fact is, they've just left a trap for somebody else down the road. In future podcasts, we will delve a whole lot deeper into the issue of culpability and the use of discipline. I mean, sometimes you got to use it, but most of the time you don't. But for the purpose of this podcast, let's just focus on separating error from violations. In other words, intentional from unintentional. And let's understand that violations can be caused by the system and also errors can be caused by the system that the worker's operating in. Let's focus on the system, not the worker. So we've talked today about the fact that to err is human, or that making errors is the normal state of the human condition. But what is often left out of that quote is the rest of it, that to forgive is divine. So thanks for listening. Until next time, and go out and save a life today. <laughs>